0: If you're ready to confront your destiny, if this is the moment that you've been praying for, tune in and listen to your cosmic cheerleader, Commander Lady Athena, for cosmic pep talks, for closet Christ. The show is the voice of the Ashtar Command. The call is for you to step forward into your greatness. Be listening on Wednesday. We have an appointment with destiny. Greetings and the love of the Supreme Spirit that we are each an embodiment of. I'm Commander Lady Athena, and you're listening to the voice of the Ashtar Command, Cosmic Pep Talks for Closet Christs. Our seminar topic is, Nothing Unreal Exists. Dark dreams had no effect. So, let's take a deep breath. And call yourself forward into that stream of divine luminosity, divine truth, divine omnipresence that constitutes the real you. Let's take another deep breath. And luxuriously and deliciously incorporate Your reality. Your true self. Ah, it's delicious. Let it just seep down into every crevice of your being. Allow it to tingle even down into your toes. Activating, illuminating. Vivifying every cell in your body, every quantum of your existence, all of your subtle bodies, the fields of living light, living love, and the living word that constitute your immortal being. So nothing unreal exists. Hmm. So what is real? What is real? You are real. You are the only thing in all of existence that's real. You are the only thing that is real within this dream world. In fact, you are the infinite supreme spirit, the one source of all life, dreaming of separate existences within a world of your own imagining. You are now awakening (laughs) and you will laugh and laugh. So this is a topic that um, we're going to get right to the heart of a major question that every one of us at some point in our life has asked or will ask, and it's this, if God exists and is a God of love, then why did he allow the Holocaust to happen? or crippled babies, or these horrible wars, all of these tragedies and injustices. Why? Why does he allow them to occur if he is a God of love, as most religions claim he is, or she is, or it is, or whatever, if God exists? And this is a question I think that torments all of us at some point. You have to ask yourself why there is this dichotomy between the world we see, the world we seem to experience every day, and reality. Is this real? And I spent my whole life, basically, attempting to find the answer to that question for myself. And I found that depending on who you ask, you'll be given one of these answers. Number one, it's God's will. (laughs) That is so, so unsatisfactory of an answer. Or they'll simply say, oh, it's a divine mystery. We're not meant to know about that. Well, why not? Or they'll say it's due to man's fallen nature. It's due to sin. And then we all feel this weight of guilt for something that we can't even remember. Or if you're into the more of the eastern line of thought, you'll be told it's your karma. It's the effect of the good and the evil you've done in your previous births. And that makes you feel like you're never going to make it, measure up, get it, whatever it is to be gotten. Or you'll be told it's a divine play, a lila, as they call it in Sanskrit. Or you'll be told it's maya, illusion. Okay, well, that. And a half a... (laughs) A half a dollar, perhaps somebody might buy you a pint of ale, but it doesn't really answer the question, does it? It leaves us always short of being and existing in reality. There is a time factor, you see. And the time factor is part of the illusion. And there's a space factor, which is also part of the illusion, Time, space, becomingness, causality. It's all things we've made up. It's stories and allegories and mythologies and philosophies and religions that man has made up in his attempt to answer the question of why these horrible things happen if there is a God and if God is love. And I never found a single answer that satisfied me. In fact, it made me angry. Oh, this is all a divine play? A Leela? Well, fine and good. Have at it, God. Enjoy it. Do you enjoy torturing people, making crippled babies, making people blind and deaf and dumb and uh, blowing people up in war and destroying things? And I would, I would get angry sometimes. One time I had a hissy fit in the middle of gridlock in Los Angeles, gridlock traffic trying to get home from my job, and I'm screaming and yelling at God for this stupid world, this meaningless world, this crazy, agitating, cruel, and heartless world. And maybe you've gotten to that point, too. And I never found a single answer until I was so fortunate to pick up a Course in Miracles, a volume of the book given by Jesus, scribed in uh, a seven-year period in the 60s and presented about mid-70s for uh, you know for all of us to read. I got my answer there for the first time. And the course of miracles said, God did not create this world. God had nothing to do with the world that we see when we turn on the news, when we open our eyes in the morning. No, God did not create the world the body's eyes see. And I heaved a sigh of relief. Ah! <sighs> After decades of searching and studying and meditating and chanting mantra and visiting enlightened beings all over the world, finally I got an answer that satisfied everything within me. God did not create this world. That's a shocker for many people. And yet you see, it's in, it's embedded in the teachings of all enlightened men and women. If you study the Buddha, if you study the teachings of Jesus, the esoteric mystical teachings of Jesus, That we're told by the spirit of Christ indwelling him, not the body walking around historically, but the indwelling Christ consciousness that he embodied of the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who knew perfect relationship with life and with the creator. If you look at those words, or the words of any avatar, anyone who is truly God-realized, they all say the same thing. This world is not real. It is maya. It is an illusion. It is the product of our past experiences and the interpretations we have made of them which we simply allow to color and people the world of our experiential day-to-day reality. And that when we awaken, that world vanishes. Now, I can tell you that from my direct experience. I've told you in other seminars that there was a point in which I transcended the lower mind, the egoic mind, that mischief maker that projects separation, distance and differentiate, uh, differentiality between everything where at a certain point everything vanished into pure light and I knew then that everything was made of light you know one of the, the statements in the Bible is God is light God is a spirit it never says that God has a form That's something mankind made up because man has a form, and so man thinks God has a form too. And then we attribute to God the same nastiness and mean-spiritedness that we run in our daily lives, and we just put that on God and make him judgmental and cruel and like he's keeping score and is going to punish us at the end of all of this nonsense. But if you take the Eastern train of thought, where this is all simply a field of consciousness in which we condition it by our experiences and our dipping, if you will, into time, space and causality, or the karmic field, whatever you want to call that, then you realize that it's closer to the understanding that everything is formless light conditioned only by the mind. Now, the mind, as I have described in many seminars, has different components. The portion of the mind that I'm speaking of now is the one that we normally function in in our day-to-day activities. And that portion of the mind is made to let's say, navigate the illusion field as a projection of ongoing illusion. Because nothing you see is truly as it is. You see only the past. Your mind is showing you only the past. Otherwise, you would have no way of actually understanding what it was. For example, if you pick up a cup, if you hadn't used the cup in the past and had some reference point for how to use the cup to put something in to drink from, you would have no knowledge of what the cup was for. And so it has a certain relative reality that enables you to function within the dream field that we call time, space, and becomingness, or causation, or whatever you want to call the day-to-day sequential movements that we make. So let's look at this in a very, very practical way. Knowing all of this, let's assume that we just take it on board as a possibility of a what-if. How is one to deal with the day-to-day experiences that we go through? The Course in Miracles also has a statement that God's will for us is perfect happiness and peace. God's will for us is perfect happiness and peace. So that inscrutable will is not so mysterious when you realize that everybody on the planet would like to have happiness and peace. Show me one person that doesn't want to be happy and peaceful. Well, maybe some people like war, but I'm talking about beneath the ego's conditioning. We all want to be happy and peaceful, don't we? Yeah, of course. So, the Course in Miracles is so bold to say, this world is not the will of God, therefore it is not real. Therefore it is not real. But it feels so darn real. Last night I had the most horrible nightmare. That nightmare was so real to me that I was in it a 100%. I didn't have any recall of who I really was. I didn't think to pray, to call on the light, none of it. I was totally invested in that dream. So much so that I shouted and shouted and my house companion came and had to hold my feet and gently bring me back to this reality. And I shouted, where am I? It was such a shock. Where am I? I completely identified with the dream. Now, I awakened to another dream. Everyone says that everything you experience at night is a dream, and the enlightened ones all say that everything you experience in the daytime is a dream as well. And the problem is, we are all asleep. Why do all the enlightened ones, all the rishis, all the avatars, they all tell us that we're sound asleep, that we're having a series of dreams? You know, we've all sung that song, row, row, row your boat, gently down the stream, merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Who hasn't sung that? Life is but a dream. But do we remember that? No, of course not. We take the dream to be real. And you know what? That portion of the mind that bought into separation wants you to believe this is real. That portion of the mind that is so invested into being separate from God, separate from love, separate from happiness, separate from one another, it is so invested in keeping itself, in perpetrating its existence by keeping you in the dream that it will fight you tooth and nail when you try to awaken. That's the part of the mind says, Bleh. if there's a God, if, if, if there's such a thing, Then, I don't want anything to do with that God, because look at what it's doing. Look, it's trying, you see, to find evidence always to justify its stance against love or God. Love, God, same thing. It's trying to justify its stance for separation and darkness and illusion And it projects that on everything to try to make its point. You see, you're in pain. You've got a disease. You're going to die. God's not real. Trying to build a case against God. Let me tell you something. God, and this again, based on the teachings of Jesus in the Course in Miracles, God did not create death, disease, pain, suffering, war, or any of the other horrible things that seem to visit us within these nightmares we call our lives, and therefore they're not real. Now, To tell you something so illogical, well, so logical that it makes the other very illogical, is why would we be punished for something we did in a dream? Now, this shoots karma out of the water, doesn't it? This shoots hell, fire, and damnation out of the water, doesn't it? This shoots sin out of the water, doesn't it? All of the little explanations that go, that make us feel guilty, that cause us to blame ourselves usually, and get down on our case, is shot out of the water when you realize this has all been a dream. It's had no effect on us at all. And therefore, the whole narrative about karma and sin and punishment and hellfire and damnation has no meaning it's meaningless and then we're told you know that unenlightened people made up these things to assert control over the populace at different periods of time remember there was a time when the pope had the power of life and death in his hands and you did it his way <laughs> or it was a death sentence or he went to the inquisition or whatever horrid thing he could make up to control people for over 500 years the dark forces the dark lodge controlled the mother church yeah ruled the mother church and so it was a good thing when, finally, uh, there was a separation. But in the illusion field that we call time-space, it set us back historically and scientifically some 500 years, which is what produced the medieval period. Yeah, the medieval period. It's a period of great darkness in which if you, if you just barely tried to assert some sanity by Galileo and others... Uh, you know, it was tantamount to a death sentence or imprisonment. So just saying, we've come out of a period when the darkest aspects, which we could call the collective ego, the collective ego mind, ruled and prevailed, and it's only now that we were ready to hear the truth. Only now was it the right time for the Master Jesus and Sai Baba, who also claims to have been the author of The Course in Miracles, speaking as the divine force that operated through Jesus. So they're both, the one representing the fatherhead and the one that represents the collective sonship, are said to be the author of A Course in Miracles, which has its perfect timing now today when we are becoming really a menace to ourselves with the separation that we keep creating now with more and more technology and more and more dependence on the mind rather than the spirit. And of course, that is the ego's agenda to keep you dark, depressed, and ignorant, but it'll give you a little little goodies here and there because it can't give you only bad things or you would totally wake up. So it fools you into thinking there's something out there to be gotten. Ah, oh, there's romance, there's money, there's there's uh, recognition, there's you know all of the many many things that it comes to present before you to try to distract you so you won't have time to inquire into yourself. Who am I? What am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What's my purpose? What's the purpose of life? Where do I go when I die? doesn't want you to think about that. So it keeps you entrained in all kinds of allurements and distractions so you don't have any time to be quiet and ask yourself the question, Why, if God is a God of love, do so many bad things happen to so many really good people. And moreover, never to question the reality if this world is really real. Did you ever think about that? I, I remember thinking this when I was like five, six, seven, eight years old. I used to wonder... Why my cats and dogs died, and when they did, the light would leave their eyes, and there would just be this stiff body. Where did the light go? What is the light? Where do we go when we die? Who dies? What dies? Where does the shine go? Where does the light go? Where is God? How high do I have to go in the sky before I find heaven or the throne of God? Did you ever think about that as a child? That's all I thought about. It it drove me crazy. I wanted to know the answers. And when I was born, nobody was awake. You couldn't even find a book. Well, there was the Bible. But then who understands the Bible? To understand the Bible, you have to have the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, which enables you to interpret Scripture. You can't just read letters and take them at face value, which most people do, I guess. They take it literally. Literally. And they leave it at that. They don't go deeper. But the more you suffer, the more this world disappoints you, disillusions you, the more you're going to get to the point where you're sick and tired of the whole mess and you want truth. And when you get to that point where there's no further down you can go, you are bottomed out to the max. Then, then, then is the day of the Lord. That is your best day when you've come to the absolute end of yourself. And you say, there's got to be another way. Help. Help. If there is a God, help. And that scream comes out in a lot of ways. But you will get to that point. You will. Everyone will. I have. Every one of us that is awakening or has awakened to any degree has gotten to that point when they say, if there is a God, I need help. I need help. I don't know what anything is for. I don't understand any of it, and I hurt, and I'm tired of it, and I want out. I want out. And a lot of us get to the point where we're suicidal. I was several times in my life. Many of you have gone through that, too. You think, oh, I can end it all if I die. Oh, sorry to tell you, nothing God created dies. There is no death. Death is a central dream from which all illusions arise quote from The Course of Miracles. There is no death. Nothing that the author of all life has ever given life to ceases to exist. Scientifically, you can't destroy energy. You can't destroy energy. You are energy. God energy, divine energy, source energy. You are eternal. There's no dying. What happens? You pass from one dimension of life into another dimension of life, and you hold yourself accountable for your action, and you'll boomerang right back into another flesh uh, encasement. Because who, call, who, who, who calls you the task? You do. Your truth calls you to task. Your truth calls you to be responsible for your thoughts, words, deeds. And you see, that shoots the concept of of a God sitting up on a throne with a long beard, an old man that's keeping track and score of everything you do. And you realize you're only dealing with yourself, You are the only reality. You, the divine, it of itself, the absolute Atman, the Paramatma, the spirit, the I am presence. Whatever you want to call it, the soul. You are real. Everything else is something the mind has made up. We see nothing as it truly is. We see our interpretation based on our past. We see only the past. And it shows us a meaningless world, and a meaningless world engenders fear. And fear makes us very, very unhappy and depressed because we're being shown a meaningless world. And then we begin to feel like we have no significance. We have no meaning. We have no reason to be here. And then we want to leave. There is no leaving, beloved. You can't leave life. You can't leave yourself. We are eternal existence. Omnipresent awareness. all-pervading bliss. We don't have much of a sense of what that bliss is. It's not euphoric happiness. Bliss actually, in my experience, is very quiet. It's very whole. It's very peaceful. It's just present love. A presence in which you're so filled with your own being that there is nothing that is lacking. Nothing at all that you need, that you want, that you have to have. There's no outward grabbing, let's say, or attaching, or clutching. There's the wholeness of the self, and the reveling of that, oh, that probably doesn't make much sense to most of you. It's something you have to experience for yourself. It's something you have to inquire into when you have a mind to do that. And it's not the ego's mind that tries to distract you into something that's going to glitter and pass very quickly through your life. The Buddha spoke a great deal about the impermanence of life, that everything is fluctuating and moving and nothing stays the same. Well, that's only relatively real. That's thats actually not the highest truth. That's a, let's say, a stepping down of the teaching to accommodate the level of consciousness that the people around Buddha at that time could embrace of. Same thing for Jesus. Same thing for all the great masters. They'll have a few, a handful, maybe one or two that actually get what they're trying to teach. And the rest spend, you know, their lives trying to make some sort of a form or an organization or religion out of the teachings of their master. But not a single one of the enlightened ones ever came here to start a religion. Jesus did not start Christianity. Jesus was a very good Jew. He was also an Essene. He was also a member of the Egyptian mystery schools. He studied in many, many schools. He also studied for a long time in the temple in Orissa, in India, Orissa Puri, of Lord Jagannatha. And there's actually records, the Shankaracharya lineage of um, heads of that order in that, um, that Hindu temple in Puri Orissa, They have records that go back to when Jesus, and he was called Isa at that time, when Isa was studying the medical Vedic teachings, which enabled him then to do the healings that he later did when he returned to his homeland. These things are actually in records written down uh, in some of these great temples. He studied with the Buddhists. He studied... Uh, with many of the the masters at the time, during the time that uh, we we call the so-called missing years, he left with his uncle in a caravan at about the age oh, shortly after his bar mitzvah. Why? He didn't want to be married. <laughs> they were trying to to get him uh, married. You know, as soon as your bar mitzvah at, at thirteen, um, you know. Uh, Suitable young ladies are brought before the young man uh, to, to you know arrange a wedding. Jesus felt a calling that he um, he didn't want to just get married and have a family. He had a call of God to live a more expanded life, and so he traveled uh, in a caravan, it took a year for him to get to uh, India. And India in those days was a much larger area as well. It wasn't just a small area that's accorded to India today. It was a very large area. And he traveled all throughout that area and studied at the various ashrams and monasteries and uh, centers of spiritual learning at the time and took a little bit of all of it, you know, and, uh, you know, as you do when you're seeking. The... Avatar Satya Sai Baba said that he attained um, Nirvikalpa Samadhi, which is oneness with the Father, at the age of 25 in the Himalayas, where he um, went for deep meditation and contemplation. But you always find in the history of all of these great beings a period when they withdrew into themselves, into the desert, into the wilderness, into the forests, to contemplate and meditate on who am I. Where did I come from? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What happens to me when I die? And when that whole sum total of realization occurs and all of the questions are answered and they end at that point, along with the lower mind that brings up all the questions, it's called Nervikalpa Samadhi. It's a state where there's no longer a differentiation. There's a wholeness and a unification and a oneness with divine source at that state, and the mind is totally stilled and quiescent. It's no longer agitated with questions and questing. And so he had attained that at the age of 25, according to Sai Baba. Up until that time, he was taken as a wandering mendicant, as any one of a number of uh, sadhus or holy uh, people they wander from place to place, and uh, you know wherever they they land, uh, the temple usually will feed them and offer them uh, a place to sleep, and then they keep moving from place to place. That's uh, what happens throughout Asia, but primarily in India, um, you'll find this, to, you know, even today. So I'm just saying, there's that si- that's that season in which we need to inquire deeply into who you are as the reality. Your outer encasement, your body, is like a shipping container, a biodegradable shipping container that brought you here into this time-space dimension. It's not who you are. Your thoughts keep getting changed and conditioned based on your environment. Your conditioning, your schooling, your background, your heritage, that's not who you are. Every lifetime, that changes. You're not your emotions. You're up one day and down the next, and they're all over the place. Not that that's a bad thing. Emotions are good. But just saying, they're not who you are because they keep changing. Your body keeps changing. How can your body be who you are? It's... it's It's not the same any two seconds. It's, it's completely renewed every seven years. Some organs within 24 hours, some within two months. You know, every part of your being has an impermanence factor, so it can't be who you are. Who you are is eternal life, ever expanding awareness, and bliss. In Sanskrit it's called Sat Chit Ananda. That's who you really are. There's nothing you can do to mess yourself up. There's nothing you can do to miss your calling. There's nothing you can do to affect the perfection that is your eternal reality now and forever. The dream had no effect on you. None. None. No karma. No Nothing. No effect. No effect at all. Any more than the nightmare I had last night had any effect on me right now. Right? No effect. I often use the example of shadow. Your personality, your human self that you take to be who you are right now, has a shadow. Okay? Okay. Is that shadow affected when it falls on different kinds of terrain? No. Is it snagged when you drag your shadow across a thorn bush? No. Is it burnt by fire? No. Is it wet by water? No. Does it get born? No. Does it die? No. Nothing happens to the shadow. In exactly the same analogy... Your passage as a human being, as a personality, with a name and a form and a label and a career and all of that, is like a shadow. Pass things through the dream field of the illusions of time, space, and becomingness. Why? That's the next question. Why? I will give you an answer from the Course in Miracles which I think is satisfactory for those of us that are awakening. The healing, your healing, is the purpose of this world. Healing what? Your mind. Your mind has become identified with unreality, and it needs to be taught how to see really and truly what exists. The first teaching in the Course of Miracles, the very first page, says this. Nothing real is threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. Okay, well, the big problem for most of us is that we haven't a clue what is real. You have to learn, and this is one of the very first things that you learn when you start to meditate or undertake any type of deep, deep spiritual study, particularly in the Eastern tradition. You learn to discriminate between the real and the unreal, the permanent and the impermanent, the transitory and the everlasting, the truth and the illusion. And again, truth to be true, to be satyam, with a capital S and a capital T, has to be absolute, unchanging, forever existing, unmodifiable. You can't modify it in any way. It simply is that which is. So all of these things that we call truth, like your truth, my truth, their truth, whatever, that's relative, operational in the third dimension, illusion, truth. But it's not absolute truth because it's changing. So that part of you that is real is unchanging. You are God. Forever and always, you are the Supreme Spirit. The one that became the many for the purpose of experiencing love through relationships. So the purpose of the world is the healing of the mind that identified, (coughs) excuse me, with separation. The healing of the mind that identified with separation. Does that make sense to you? It's the what I often refer to as the egoic mind, the ego mind. That mind is healed the minute you say there's got to be another way. It's restored to wholeness in that instant because there's no time necessary for your full restoration. You've already been restored because in highest truth your separation was never acknowledged. How can perfect wholeness acknowledge separation? You, as God, the Supreme Spirit, can only see itself. That's why when an enlightened being looks at you, like, for example, Satya Sai Baba, that enlightened being, that God-conscious being, will only see itself. It won't see you as a separate personality. It will see you as its own incarnation. So the Supreme Spirit looking through your completely God-realized eyes will only see the holiness, the perfection, the divinity of your own self everywhere. That's the difference between a person who's fully awakened and a person who's not, is that a fully awakened person only sees God. A person that is partially awakened will see God and others a person who is not awake at all will only see others. And so, in a sense, life is simply a mirror in which you can see yourself more clearly. Everything is a mirror so you can see yourself more clearly. And based upon what you see lets you know what is looking through you, whether it be the distortions of the ego mind that sees everything as an enemy, everything as separate, or the mind that was in Christ Jesus that sees the glory of God as everything in existence. You know, in highest truth, we are all of it. We are everyone and everything, so we might as well just own the whole tit and caboodle, just own the whole thing and realize you're all of it, and in highest truth, you are none of it. You have been everywhere and done everything, and on the same token, you've never been anywhere, you've never done any of this. It's all been a colossal dream. And that's why at the end, of course, the miracle says the end of the world is his laughter, because it's been a place of tears and sorrow. A happy ending to all things is as assured, the Course in Miracles teaches us. Because here we have disappointment. We have disillusionment. We have heartache and heartbreak. So the truth, the, re- the real world has to be just the opposite And we will find in highest truth we have never left the heart of God. We've never left home. Just like when you have a bad dream, like this morning I had that awful nightmare. I said, where am I? And my companion said, you're here. You're home. You know, (laughs) nothing's happened. I sure felt strange to awaken from such a horrific dream, and find I was just safely in bed. All was well. All was peaceful. And there was just love present. And it's like that. When you fully awaken, you're home. And you're simply love. And I've been with so many God-realized and enlightened people, and they carry home with them wherever they are. They, they experience being at home everywhere. And they're simply at peace inside and out. And it's a, it's an experience that we visit in meditation or maybe when we're out in the forest and we're just quietly in the peace of nature. And we get a taste of it. And then we begin to observe what puts us in that state. Oh, I feel like that when I'm, for example, painting. Or composing music. Or dancing. Or maybe when I'm jogging or working out. Or maybe I'm a gymnast. I I enter that state when, like Dan Millman, when I'm, you know, doing the rings and I'm competing for an Olympic uh event, when you are in any of those states or surfing or anything that that totally engages you, you are in the state, the transcendental state beyond the mind. You are entirely present and there's no ego. These are all egoless states. We call it being in the zone. Uh, we have different ways of calling it that. But in highest truth, it's when you become fully present and there's no ego mind. You're not thinking. So it's very important to observe what puts you in that state and begin to notice how you can keep creating that state. I found, if you ever read the book... um, the presence of God by Brother Lawrence. There was a little monk that was assigned to the kitchen. He had to do the kitchen duties, and he couldn't take uh, you know advantage of the daily mass. And so he decided that he would worship the Lord while he washed the dishes. And he did the dishes for the Lord, and he did the whatever it was he did in the kitchen. He cultivated the presence of God in that action and so whatever you do when you do it with all of your you know it says in the bible that we should do whatever we do with all of our heart and all of our soul as unto the lord like that when you when you are in the present moment without resistance without wishing you were someplace else doing something else without preference when you're just doing what you do and being present with it that's the unified state of the no ego the non-egoic self. And you can cultivate the presence of God everywhere, all the time, if you just stay present with your action. When you sweep the floor, sweep the floor. But don't just sweep the floor. Do it do it for as a yoga, as a way to be with the presence of God by escaping from the linear mind that always wants to be someplace else doing something else. When you catch yourself in that wishing you were doing something else, bring the mind present and do your action as part of your spiritual practice. Do it as your yoga. Do it as your Zen. You know, Zen masters are really good at that. So there's no throwaway moments. There's not a moment in which your, your life isn't proactive in the direction of being present and awake. Present and awake. When you're present and there's no mind, you are in spirit. You are in a state of meditation. You don't have to sit in a meditation pose. Your whole life then becomes a meditation. And you do everything with care and with love and with, precise, uh, with precision, with impeccability. And then your whole life becomes an ongoing prayer, becomes an ongoing yoga, ongoing meditation, And you'll find that you're no longer in the dream because to be in the dream, you have to be in the the realm of thinking. And whenever you're thinking, you're asleep. Now, I'm not talking about deep, abstract contemplation, penetrating into the mysteries of things deeply with a focused mind. I'm talking about that level that we could call the... uh, Beta level, chatty, social, you know, repartee kind of mind. That's the mind that's sound asleep. It's going on autopilot. And it's just working in the realm of constant agitation, constant distraction, constant entertainment, constant outflow. It's not centered in the self. Easiest way to center is to take a deep breath, Because when you're breathing, you're not thinking. So odd. But you can't breathe and focus on your breath and think at the same time. <laughs> you can't sneeze and think at the same time. <laughs> and there's quite a few other things that we do that completely blots out thought. So whatever gets the mind focused here and now without thinking, being present, is what centers you. And so the simple breath, deep breath in, or as I like to say, breathe in God, breathe out love, breathe in life, breathe out love, breathe in light, breathe out love, whatever you want to, (laughs) breathe in, go for it. But when you're doing that, you're centering, you see, and you're escaping the monkey mind, which is never content. It's never present. It's never pleased. And you know what? You're never going to please it. And the second thing, which is a very, very good practice, I actually dissolve my mind through years and years of uh, repetition of the name of the Lord. You know, it's called mantra repetition or japa. Remembering the name of the Lord um, in a a mantra or formula that enables the mind to stay focused on that rather than running random and creating mischief and thinking about things you have to do and things that you're worried about and concerned about that take you out of the present bliss of the present moment. So the mind needs to be directed until it can be um, trained trained to stay focused, trained to stay present, trained to stay in the moment and not project into the future or distract into the past. Because according to the Course in Miracles, when you do that, when you think of the past, the past doesn't exist, so your mind goes blank, but not in a good way. And then when you think of the future, the future doesn't exist either. So again, the mind is blank, which means... It's not creating presence. It's simply unconscious. So we want to be in presence. And you are the presence. You are the reality. You are the light. You are the divine, pre- the divine presenting through the human form. And you are the only way the formless invisible divine spirit can actually enter the illusion of time, space, and causality. You're the only means through which the formless spirit becomes visible and tangible in time, space. Now, I suggest that you take the example from Star Trek where there's a program going on, a computer program, a holodeck program, and one of the crew will come in at some point when it sees that the... The other people that are participating in that holodeck, they get too caught up in it and they forget that they're in a holodeck program. They don't know how to turn it off, right? So somebody will enter the holodeck and and turn the switch off, turn off the program. That's exactly what an enlightened person does when they enter the dream that we call daily existence here in this world. That's what Jesus did. He entered and he never forgot who he was. He entered the holodeck program and ended it turned on the switch or turned off the switch and so as you awaken you become the person that does that you enter into the dream field and however you're guided to do so you turn up the dimmer switch so it becomes a little brighter you don't turn the light on all the way because it's rude and it's disruptive to somebody who's sound asleep you Gently bring the light up a little bit, according to what would be comfortable for them. And the Holy Spirit does the same thing to you. That spirit of truth that lives in you as you, that is the inner master, begins to turn up the light in your mind and in your awareness. And you gradually see more and more clearly, more and more through the eyes of your own divinity, more and more through the the mind that was in Christ Jesus that was perfectly unified with the Father. And so this is what is happening to you now. It's causing many, many changes in your visual patterns and how you see the world, how you feel. We're all in this together. We're all awakening together. We're all walking each other home. And we're going home together as a group. You're not alone. And this is part of what's happening now. Those of you that are finding yourself going through extreme changes, in how you see things, how you experience yourself. This is all part of our collective awakening. It's simply the time, beloved. It's simply the time. And so if you feel drawn to, you might want to check out The Course in Miracles. But there will be a way that will be perfect for you. Maybe it's something else. But just open yourself to the possibility that there may be a different way of seeing the world. And be open to having that shift take place for you. Whatever would be the best way for you to do that. And in the meantime, take heart. Because the world you see is not the will of God. And therefore, it is not real. God did not create the world. That is a world of crime and pain and and judgment and death and warfare. None of those things will be in the world that your awakened eyes will open to see. And you will laugh and laugh with delight and joy that none of this happened, none of it's real, and none of it had any effect on you whatsoever. And you've always been home, forever one with love and one with God. And there's always more, always more. So, we send from the Ashtar Command our united blessings to each one of you. We are the overseers of this educational ascension plan for planet Earth at this time, for this galaxy, actually. And we're all doing this together. All of the beings and all of the worlds are part of this massive shifting into a new heavens and a new Earth. And... Behold, I make all things new. And that's what you say from the Christ itself, that you truly are. Behold, I make all things new. So I'm Commander Lady Athena, representing the Ashtar Galactic Command, blessing you and speaking on behalf of our entire united fleets. May peace and goodwill prevail in all hearts. And within all worlds, may all beings awaken to the love and truth that they are. Namaste.